You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast, available free on iTunes. I'm Jeff Shulman, a professor at UW's Foster School of Business, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to the second episode of the sixth season of Seattle Growth Podcast. We've made it through so many seasons of Seattle Growth Podcast because of you, the listener, coming back time and time again to learn more about Seattle's physical, cultural, and economic transformation and also because of the fascinating people of Seattle who have been willing to share their unique perspective with all of you. This season of Seattle Growth Podcast focuses on finding community in a dynamic city. Today's episode features Farah Abdallah, a lead product manager at eBay who co-founded Seattle's chapter of Women in Product. Abdallah shares how she collaborated with Claire Fang of Facebook to bring together hundreds of women in Seattle who are building products for some of the world's most innovative companies. The episode also features Kevin Sir, founder of Artist Home. Sir discusses why and how he created a collaborative community for artists, and why and how he launched highly popular music festivals such as Timber Outdoor Music Festival, which is bringing together emerging artists for the seventh year in a row this July. Sir shares how his desire to help people and build community evolved into a successful business. If you are looking for community that's right for you, You just might find it in today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Or if you're looking to build your own community, Farah and Kevin share valuable lessons that you could use to start and nurture a group. And as we'll hear in Kevin's case, a passion for helping those around you just might evolve into a rewarding business. So whether you've lived here your whole life or are just joining this city, you're going to learn about Seattle, how it was, how it is changing, and where the city is going. Now, before we get to these interviews, I want to invite you to the red carpet premiere of On the Brink on Sunday, June 9th. If you like Seattle Growth Podcast, you will love this cinematic story of history, hope, and determination. I teamed up with Stephen Fong and Oscar-nominated music producer Kyle Townsend to bring you archival images, music, and interviews that tell a story of the past, present, and potential future of Seattle's Central District. Visit www.onthebrinkmovie.com and click on the screenings tab to get tickets. That's www.onthebrinkmovie.com. Click on screenings in the menu in the upper right corner. Now, to explore how to find or build community in a dynamic city, join me as I sit down with Farah Abdallah. I am here with Farah Abdallah, a lead product manager at eBay and co-founder of a group here in Seattle, Women in Product, uh, the chapter, uh, there's Women in Product and several chapters around the country, and she co-founded the Seattle chapter. Uh, Farah, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, so we're here to talk about finding community in a dynamic city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before that, I just want to learn a little bit more about you. What brought you to this city? Uh, so it's kind of like a worldwide tour before settling here in Seattle. I'm originally from Lebanon. It's a country in the Middle East. And then I moved to France, where I did my engineering study. Then I moved to Lausanne, where in Switzerland, where I did my PhD. Then moved to Bern, uh, where I joined the United Nation. Then met my husband, who lived in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I moved to Utah. <laughs> and uh, to start our family, we basically wanted a city where we can achieve our dreams and uh, we can embrace our identity. We visited different cities in the U.S. And I remember that day when I visited Seattle, uh, Pike Place Market, and I met all of these local products. And I get this uh, croissant from a French bakery. Uh, that was the closest one that I could get in the U.S. to what you can get in Paris. Wow, okay. Um, and all of the beautiful green and watery scenery reminded me of Switzerland. So I felt really home. Okay. And we decided to move um, and be in a city where we can see embrace our global identity, and uh, learn about all of the great things happening here and the great minds. So you've had a world tour, and then coming to Seattle, married a little bit of the French uh, pastries (laughs) and the green of Switzerland. Um, And so you've been here five years, you said, Uh and uh, in that time, Seattle has grown and changed dramatically. Uh What changes have you found most striking? Mostly, there's more and more international people getting attracted to the city. And I can um, see even from my friends around the world, 
uh, they know more about Seattle uh, because of all of the great tech companies that are global now. Uh, so I think this is one of the main things I've observed. And uh, Other than the traffic, of course. Oh, the traffic you've noticed. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about women in, in product. So uh, as more people are moving in and equivalently some people are, are moving out, uh, there's a, a sense there are some people who are feeling kind of alone or they're, they're not mm -hmm. finding a sense of belonging. And now you've co-founded Women in Product, which is helping to bring people together. Tell me a little bit more about what it is and how it brings people together. Mm -hmm. So it's actually a beautiful, um, I would say, personal story. Uh, as I mentioned, I came here, I don't know anyone. And um, I was in a point in my career where I really felt that I can um, get more growth, uh, but I, was, I couldn't get it inside the company. And um, I also felt that um, as a, you know, I also became a mom. And I started feeling more and more all of these great challenges that women face when working, uh, specifically in Seattle, you know, about care for a child, activity for a child, uh, driving, etc. Um, so <laughs> I wanted to kind of like learn from peers. I started um, uh, going to meet up, volunteering locally, and um, one day I saw that Women in Product, the great organization of Silicon Valley, is having an event here at Facebook in Seattle. So a little bit about Women in Product, it's actually, uh, it has been founded by W and other senior women um, in the technology world in Silicon Valley, where the goal is to empower more women um, at all levels in their careers. Um, it, it has a great traction there, and so, um, Claire Fang, a lead product manager at Facebook, mentioned to Deb, I wish we had this in Seattle. So they said, okay, let's start with an event there. Um, the event ticket sold out quickly, that I wasn't able to attend the event. Oh, so you didn't even get to go. Okay. <laughs> but what I did, <laughs> I actually reached out to Claire and I'm like, Claire, hey, can I help? Uh, maybe I can organize the next event uh, at eBay. And so we organized the next event at eBay. And uh, it was a normal rainy night uh, in Seattle. A normal, yeah. <laughs> There's only like 330 of those. And I'm like, no one will come. Like, no way with this much rain people will turn out. And the room was full. Okay. It was so much warm. And I saw all of the other women with the joy of connecting and together. And I'm like, I'm not the only one looking for that community. There's all of these other women who are also looking at it. And so Claire and I decided to found actually the first chapter of Women in Product outside Silicon Valley, and it was here in Seattle. And how many chapters are, are there now? How oh, many other cities? Now there's more than 25 chapters, and it's turning out global. So you were the first to, to really embrace it and take it uh, into a new city. You told me about this first meeting where you, you filled the room. How did you fill the room? How did you go about finding... Uh, other women who were feeling a need to connect with other women interested in product management? So uh, Women in Product has a Facebook group with more than 1,000 members. Some of them are uh, from Seattle. It's just that they never were able to go and fly to San Francisco to attend some of these big conferences or events. So we basically uh, promoted the event on this big group of on Facebook. And... Um, we already had like part of our members there basically tapped into it and, you know, words of mouth and uh, the room was full. <laughs> so you, you fill the room. At that point, you weren't a chapter. You were just having an event of women in product. Correct. And then how did you go about saying, you know, let's just do this and then turning it into what it is today? You're right. So an event is more like a testing to see if there's a need, right? Like, we, we perceive the need. Um, what we wanted is more a community. So it's not about one time I see someone and, um, you know, um, I'll see him in maybe 10 other months. Um, so during these two events, we, um, we saw that there are more women who wants to volunteer. And so we organized a volunteering day and we started a committee. 
and we sat down together and we said, okay, um, what are the things that are specific to Seattle uh, that we want to solve here? Because we can leverage all of the goodness of women in product, you know, in, in Silicon Valley, like the resources, the books. The, what do we want to achieve here in Seattle? And we came up with three goals. Um, the first one um, is to organize more events, but that these events should be targeted towards um, relationship building and career management and skills building. So that whenever anyone comes to this place, they say, okay, I knew one more person that I didn't know before, and I know one more thing that I can apply to my daily job the next day. And if we achieve that, then that was worth their time and their commute. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which, as you said, is getting is harder getting longer harder and longer. And harder. <laughs> so also about our event, we said, let's also do more east and west side and, and realizing, you know, the nature of the city is around uh, these two places. Um, the second goal um, was to have more leaders in Seattle sponsoring our cause. Uh, so in Silicon Valley, you have Lean In, Sheryl Sandberg, and all of her influence on the leaders there. So it's kind of like already established where, you know, you have a director or a VP who would say, okay, I'll put so much money to organize an event. Um, we've seen less here in Seattle. And so in order to basically get more of this momentum, um, we decided to target a few events in the year to director plus level where women can connect together, bond together, and see what they can do in their companies, but also at the Seattle level, to help junior women get into the leadership mm -hmm. levels. Um, and, and so that's a task by itself, uh, culturally, I would say, here in yeah. the city to change. Um, and then the third one, uh, was around mobility. So I mentioned really Seattle traffic is getting um, some of our members uh, find it very hard to explore more opportunities or to network just because of traffic. And, you know, especially women, we have kids to drop off and, you know, other constraints in our life. Um, so um, we decided to build a resume for the whole Seattle chapter for women in product. And the idea here was, okay, let's connect anyone who is open uh, to an opportunity to recruiters uh, of local companies and have them tap into this great, uh, you know, skills, uh, the great skills of, of the members that we have. Um, interestingly, we also learned from recruiters that they don't have an easy way to access uh, mm -hmm. junior level, entry level students. And, and you know, Jeff, you, I mean, uh, you're a professor of an MBA course and they don't have an easy access to them. So we're also reaching out to, you know, uh, the UW, yourself and other instructor to connect with the new blood and, and see if we can also put them into contact with the recruiters um, and empower that power plan. Women in Product actually helped me uh, get guest speakers for my product management <laughs> class, as Farah, uh, you just said, uh, at the UW Foster School of Business. Um, what other accomplishments have you been able to create since you and Claire co-founded Women in Product Seattle Chapter? I actually didn't realize that we have more than 800 women in the Seattle area who are product manager or aspiring product manager. And this is how many members we have in our Facebook group today. Congratulations. <laughs> Uh, so we started this, you know, local Facebook where we have women just asking each other questions, um, saying, hey, can someone uh, review my resume? Uh, I'd like to do a mock interview. Um, I'm actually giving a talk. Here's the link. Uh, look at these great events happening here. And it doesn't have to be a woman in product event. It could be any event in the area that they can, that the community can benefit from. Um, it's just so great to see how, you know, just connection and putting some of your time can help another person and and we can empower each other. Um, we also started a LinkedIn pro, uh, group. It's the first one uh, for women in product um, because, again, more recruiters here are saying we want more diversity in the 
tech industry, uh, how can we reach out to you? So the Facebook group become, became the safe space of women uh, to reach out together. And the LinkedIn group is this is where, you know, recruiters can also see different profiles. Um, and we have for the moment, we, we, we thought that you would be organizing maximum like four events a year. We have more than 11 events organized um, with the best companies, I would say. Microsoft, Amazon, Expedia, Uber, eBay, Facebook, um, even some startup kind of companies like OfferUp, RealSelf, Textio. Um, and, you know, we're so humbled and, and so thankful for all of these companies to say, you know, we want to support you and we want to learn more about the profile of the woman in this community. Um, and um, we hope to, you know, we hope we can continue this, this vibe. And I think Honestly, the thing that makes me most happy is whenever I meet someone, I'm like, um, so, you know, what's your feedback about women product? Um, the first thing I learn, uh, I hear is, I'm not alone. I am connecting with other women who are facing the same challenges. And, and I'm learning, like, I just learned something new today. Um, and that, you know, by itself is a big win. So you started uh, locked out of an event that Women in Product from Silicon Valley hosted here. You teamed up with Claire Fang from Facebook. And the two of you have built a community with uh, a lot of events, a lot of sponsors, and 800 people on the Facebook page. Uh, how have you felt doing this? Like, what, what has been your emotions as you're seeing the fruits of your labor here? A lot of joy uh, because of when you volunteer for something and you feel you're bringing some goodness, uh, it also reflects on you. So I started this interview saying that I actually wanted help, but I reached out to a point where because I'm helping or because I'm putting some time aside to, you know, meet all of these good people, it reflected on me, uh, on on my daily job and on the way I think about work-life balance and, and many other things. So definitely a lot of joy um, and a lot of growth also from a skills perspective because every time I meet someone new, I learn about how other companies um, are approaching product management, right? Um, and we exchange idea and we can evolve together. And I think that's by itself is really also from a mental perspective, a great, um, a great reward. And for somebody who's out there and wants to build a sense of belonging or build a sense of community, maybe not in product, maybe not even a woman, but just anybody out there, what could they learn from your experience building women in product to what it is today uh, that they could take away in their own efforts that maybe a different context? So probably three things. Uh, first of all, it has to start with a we. And I think, um, you know, networking is very much into a point. You go to a conference, you come back home. Uh, it's a little bit, um, community is more like relationship building, long time relationship building. Um, if you want to be fit in community, you cannot go and run one time and then say, yay, I know how to run. Uh, you have to do it in a consistent way uh, and meet people, see with whom you can fit and, and, and bond with each other. Um, and it definitely needs to be about we. The second thing is around um, it needs effort. And so you, you need to be organized and put time aside, no matter what, for that community. Uh, you, you need and time is the only actually resource for these seeds to grow. <laughs> yeah. And so, for instance, myself, even if I'm now on a maternity leave, every week I have at least two hours put aside to do something for women in product. It could be this podcast. It could be going to a company and meeting other people. It could be just going on Facebook and LinkedIn room and happy helping a couple of these women. That by itself is an engine um, for community growth. Uh, the third uh, one is approaching volunteers. 
Um, so especially with women, we don't have time. And as mentioned in my first point, time is essential for community building. Um, so some of our challenges is how can we basically uh, make sure that our volunteers not only have the passion uh, to be part of a committee or to um, uh, say, hey, I want to be part of the Seattle committee, but also put the put the resource. Um, and so I think then this is where we learned that uh, you should be recruiting volunteers one time. It should be a continuous effort because some will come, some will go, and that's okay. Life, especially if, you know, it's, it's not your job. Um, uh, you should be organizationally ready for people coming and going when you build a community. Effort was number two on, the, on your list, and you're still putting time even though you're on maternity leave. What's driving you to keep putting and giving and giving while now you could be spending time with your growing family? I believe that by helping others, by um, changing this culture around, around me, this will come back at some point with a better workplace for me. Uh, and, you know, I'm not seeing it now, but I believe in it. I want to give you a chance for a plug. Who should try to find out more about women in product, and how could they take that first step to being a part of your community? Uh, so go on Facebook, if you're on Facebook, and search for Women in Product Seattle Community and add yourself as a member there. Uh, if you're not on Facebook, you can still join us on LinkedIn. Um, there's a website, Women in Product. There's plenty of resources there. And under communities, you go to Seattle, and there's a lot of emails and contacts that you can, uh, you know, reach out to. So who should want to get involved in Women in Product? So if somebody's listening and you're in product, <laughs> so you know you're not everybody's your target market. Uh, so of all the people listening, how do they know if they're somebody who should get involved with what you're doing? So um, if you if you if then if you're not in product, if you're in product and you're a woman, definitely you should be involved. If you are in product and you're a male who wants to sponsor a woman who believes in diversity and inclusion in your company, please reach out because you're part of you know changing this whole diversity mm-hmm. uh, uh, culture here in the in, in this area. Um, if you're a recruiter or a leader in a company and you want to sponsor uh, this cause because you also believe in the diversity and what can it can bring for your own company, for your own consumers when these products become inclusive, then um, this talk is for you as well. Just to dive deeper into that, so what are some ways that if they're a male uh, or they're an HR um, what are some ways that they can get involved? You're saying they, they could sponsor an event, and, and what do they get back from that? So these companies usually have budget for recruiting. However, if they sponsor one of the events, they basically also tap into all of the um, amazing talent that are coming and, and to learn, but also that can be open for new opportunities. Um, so um, this is how we can connect money <laughs> and purpose to drive great talent to your company, as well as supporting a great cause together. And is the product just technology? Or somebody who does uh, product manager of physical products? And... No, it could be anything. It could be physical product. It could be te- technology product. And, uh, you know, we have Starbucks here. We have PMs from other companies as well. So, so we've talked about uh, women in product. Uh, we've talked about how not just women uh, can get involved in women in product, whether it's sponsoring or connecting uh, with and hiring some of the people that, that you're working with. Uh, we've talked about building community here in Seattle. A- any concluding thoughts? I think that the more we have women helping each other, supporting each other, and male sponsoring women in Seattle, um, we will be able to be probably one of the first city in the U.S. Uh, to reach equal access to technology um, carry, in technology careers for both um, all genders inclusive. Um, 
it's a city that has great hearts, great minds, and now <laughs> great wills to put this effort together and, you know, make it happen. Farah, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. Thank you. Farah spoke of how her efforts to support other women in product management helped to support herself as well. In my next interview, Kevin Sir, founder of Artist Home, shares how his passion for helping artists has led to a dream career in the music business. Now, before we get to this interview, pause this podcast and get on www.onthebrinkmovie.com to get tickets to the red carpet premiere of On the Brink, Sunday, June 9th. The memorable evening is being organized by the UW's Foster School of Business and Langston, Seattle. They are bringing together business leaders, community leaders, and city leaders. When else will you get to enjoy a great film alongside NBA Hall of Famer Lenny Wilkins, Sonics legend Slick Watts, elected officials from the city, county, and state levels, and incredible musicians such as Cola Malik, The Black Tones, and Robbie Hill. We have an amazing set of people planning on coming to the red carpet premiere, and I'd love to see you there. Go to www.onthebrinkmovie.com and click on screenings to get tickets. Now, join me as I sit down with Kevin Sir. I am here with Kevin Sir, owner of Artist Home. Kevin, thank you very much for joining me today. Dude, thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. So we're here to talk about uh, finding community in a dynamic city. You know, as the city has changed, people moving in, uh, people moving out. Yeah. Uh, how do people get a sense of belonging and how do people build that sense of belonging for others? And so we're going to talk about Artist Home. But first, what brought you to Seattle? Um, well, I first came to Seattle. Um, I came, I was a, a touring musician based out of uh, the Bay Area. And I was working in the music industry. I started a, my own booking agency. And beyond music, I knew that I wanted to do something within music and something that in my heart would just be useful and I was uh, a booking agent for bands, booking their tours and their shows and things like that. And had gone to my first shows when I was you know, a young teenager, fall in love with this thriving music community, um, became a part of it. Um, it helped uh, create a career for me. And progressively, kind of throughout the early 2000s, um, as, you know, rent, cost of living went through the roof, you know, you had the, the, the Silicon Valley boom and the after effects of all that, um, I found myself looking around at a place where there was like, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of bands and musicians and literally look around and there was no one left. And I had spent some time up in Seattle uh, while on tour. I always thought it was beautiful. And uh, I kind of just, I don't know, I had a gut feeling that I needed to go there. Um, my wife and I, we decided to move here because I knew I wanted to do something with the industry, something that would help create a difference for musicians. I didn't know what exactly, but I knew that Seattle had the foundation to make it possible. It had KEXP. Every neighborhood had local venues. It had people writing about music, and it had um, a, a lower and more uh, fair entry point into just being a part of the economy and get, renting an apartment and doing all those things. Um so that's really what brought me here. And within a few years, I had a business that was thriving to this point where we're like 13 years down the road. My company has a staff of nine people and it's amazing. It's wonderful. And it all traces back to landing in Seattle at a time when culture and the arts was cherished, was promoted, was just celebrated by the city in a way that the Bay Area used to celebrate it and no longer had. And um yeah, I was able to, to make something. And now, you know, my business is great and things are going good. And we, and, you know, through every facet of what we do, we, we constantly think of how, you know, we produce music festivals like Timber Outdoor Music Festivals. We do um, free consultations for any artist that seeks it. Um, but we're always like constantly motivated and, and driven by how can we help put an artist on a pedestal and help push them forward and found a way to work for our business and found a way to just be a, a part of this ecosystem that helps musicians along and Tecla, who I guess recommended me to you. She's one of them. And so 13 years ago, you come to Seattle yeah, because of all the changes in the Bay Area. Yep. And now here in Seattle, we've had some dramatic changes. What has What change have you found most striking in those 13 years? Probably mostly in the set last seven. Yeah, just seeing history repeat itself. You know, I've seen um, everyone I knew from the Bay Area um, who were 
not part of a tech industry because the vast majority that came in there and drove up the housing through the roof. But um, they either worked for a ton of money that they never enjoyed because, like, they'd have to be millionaires just to be poor is the joke I always say. But um, uh, just seeing culture displaced and seeing all those things and seeing the, the, the signs of that happening here a little bit. What are the signs? What have you... What? How are you seeing that? Um, well, I work with musicians like every every day. I'm talking to the musicians. We're consulting or advising or just helping, and we work with them at our concerts and whatnot. It's it's a big part of who we are. And more and more, we're just seeing them leave and uh, seeing a group of musicians move up to Yakima, seeing them move to Bellingham, seeing them move to Nashville, to L.A., um, and identifying Seattle as just kind of a place where they can't sustain themselves and do what they need to do. Um, where the full-time jobs that are usually things that get them by um, while they're playing gigs at night and whatnot, not even those can afford them the ability to, to stay in the city. It's kind of slowed down, which is nice. And I think that um, the city is addressing it and people are being vocal and loud and and great. But yeah, I think in the last seven years, it's just sort of like, you know, a few years ago, my wife and I, we, we had our first time. We're in a place where we can buy a home. And we were in a race to buy that home because we knew what was coming. And we saw it. We, we left the Bay Area partly because of that. And uh, we just saw the, what happened to housing. And, um, yeah, and I think that it's – there's nothing striking to me because I've lived through it in another place. And I'm seeing it kind of happen again. And, and so with that, you're seeing, you know, maybe some musicians and artists moving out. But with Artist Home, you are helping to build a sense of community. Uh, you know, uh, as you said, it's a business, but can you talk about the community aspect of what you're doing with Artist Home to bring musicians and people together? Yeah, I mean, I think what has contributed a lot to our success to like Timber Outdoor Music Festival, um, and we helped create Dobe Fest in the very beginning, we were driven by a lot of the reasons we didn't like music festivals. And one of those reasons was that we didn't see a lot of music festivals sticking their neck out and promoting a band that no one ever heard of. Like anyone who was a huge fan of music that really is into it knows that you can find a place on a Wednesday night and you can find a musician who's every bit as talented and skilled as the one that you would see in an arena for 55 bucks. Um, you just have to do the work to go find them. And part of our, um, you know, just kind of what inspires us, what motivates us is that we want to put the artists that need to be seen on the stage, not the ones that everyone has seen, you know, where music festivals are trying to like sell tickets by giving you a bunch of familiar names, which we're trying to do this long thing where we have a fervent, very loyal fan base of people that come to our events and a big motivation to them. And they literally write us and tell us is like, we go here because we discover and fall in love with something for new for the first time. And that helps us be like okay we're a business we have a, a, a music festival that's thriving and it's based on this model of trust and it's based on this model of like okay we can be part of this thing that is helping everyone that's a part of it move along pr propels them up and um, not something that just tries to exploit what's popular and we've seen for the last 13 years like there's a lot of bands that are household names now that just we were the first festival they did you know, and a lot of bands come back and say, yeah, this was the turning point. This was the first time we were recognized or anyone just put us on a stage in front of that many people. And, you know, they made the most of it. Um, so what are some names of some of the people who we've well, yeah, I think made the, the Yeah, I think the biggest one that we get a lot of um, credit from is the Head in the Heart. We're like, second year we did Dobe Fest. They were just like, they had one song on a MySpace page and they messaged us, listened to the song. It was like, oh my gosh, this is great. Come up. We're going to figure out a place for you to play, but come up and hear some money. And like, um, and that set became a thing of legend where, um, and it was like this real tipping point moment for them. But other bands like Pickwick, more known nationally than locally, oddly enough, Ivan and Alyosha, who are an amazing touring band who draw people all over the country, Noah Gunderson, you know, and just in the last few years, like bands that have blown up, you know, locally, like Paris Alexa, the Naked Giants, like we we were like the first thing that booked them, the first festival that put them on that big stage and like um, made a big deal out of them. And um, the True Loves uh, were the first festival, the Book Race Love and the True Loves. And we knew they would just crush it, you know? And so that's always like, 
you know, I do all the talent buying, I do all the programming and I'm like constantly like, it's not so much the search for the big headliner. That's my challenge. It's trying to find that band that no one's heard of that will blow their doors off and then give them this experience at an event where that first time you hear a band that you fall in love with, it's priceless. And so that becomes part of the experience that becomes part of what people, why people go, but then it also becomes part of how we're a positive part of this. You know, I was that band. I toured for seven years and I know the struggle. And for me, it's sort of like a response, like understanding that and having that reality inspires me to be like, I know how hard the work is and I know how desperate you can feel. And like, I have this in my own small way, I can be that thing that I wished I would have. You've built this and now you've listed uh, quite a few notable bands who've come through your, your work. How did you take the first steps of building a community of artists and fans and connecting them together here in Seattle? I think it goes back before even Seattle, um, even when I was a touring musician. Like, I would just never say no to any other musician that either wanted to hand me their music, wanted to ask me questions about how do you do this? What do you do? Um, and I remember being in an apartment in Seattle or in Sacramento. I was living in Sacramento, and I remember... You know, I just moved in with a girlfriend, and I remember once a week someone would, would knock on the door with an album, and and she just got used to it, and she's like, this is just what you do? I'm like, yeah, it's just, um, you know, I think that uh, it's silly to, like, have this information that can help your fellow musician along and to, and to hoard it or to keep it or to charge money for it, at least in my own mind. Um, and so I think as long as even before we were doing music festivals, um, it was just sort of this known thing people who knew would encounter other musicians who were trying to figure it out or didn't have a thing. And they just say, hey, uh, you know, email this guy, Kevin, and just he'll, he'll, have, he'll, he'll, have, he'll share coffee, he'll have coffee with you, and he'll answer whatever you want and give you his opinion. Um, and so it, everything always started with, like, it wasn't really a business plan. It was just like, I just want to help. I just want to, you know, do what I can to give. And it helped me sleep at night and make me feel like, good you know and like um because i've been through a lot and there's like it takes five minutes to tell another musician something that prevents them to have from having to go through a bad experience you did and so much common knowledge that they just don't have um could really affect their lives can really affect their career most of that common knowledge comes through very hard lessons that take years to look back and be like oh my god why was i doing this this way why did I make this choice? Why did I think about the repercussions? Or why didn't I work harder? Like all those kind of things. So, um, But now, so it, it seems like it might be easy to give back uh, to others and selflessly give when you're, you're set and established on your own. But when you're still just trying to figure out how are you going to create a life here in Seattle for you and your, your family... Uh, how were you and why were you still so generous with your time uh, and your insight? I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I don't know how to have a good answer, but I just, um, I, I think I just identify musicians and artists as fellow brothers, sisters, and humans that we just share a culture. We share something. And if there's something I can give them to help them proceed with their art, you know, I'm going to do it. And yeah, I mean, my wife is the one who's like, you know, this thing, you know, when I was a booking agent, you know, and started that as my business, I'd actually been a booking agent for a long time, but I was just booking tours for free just because it was sort of this punk rock thing. Like, yeah, you just do what you can for your fellow bands and you help them out and they help you out. And I've always had so many people help me out whenever I've been in trouble, whenever like I've had a need, whenever a band cancels last minute, like I've literally had a band cancel last minute, the first timber we ever did. And one of these other bands that I'd helped along the way who can sell out the show box called me and said, Hey, I heard you had a band cancel. We're going to replace them. And I said, dude, I don't have, you guys should be getting paid X amount. This is what, this is all I have. Cause that's what I was, no, no, no. You're paying us what you're going to pay that band. We owe you. And like, so these things kind of come back in ways that like, you know, you just, you know, it's that whole, like the love you give is the love you get kind of thing. And it's really true. And, um, you know, and I think that you can't really create a community if your first instinct is like, well, how can I exploit this? Or how can I like make all this money off of it? I think it's, you give to something and, and 
the path will provide and for us like the path provided itself and we just followed the path of least resistance which turned into music festivals it wasn't even a booking agency anymore then all of a sudden i was like wow this is way more fun i could work with so many more bands um and truth be told it was a lot less work than trying to be a booking agent and booking all those tours um but yeah to a fault like you know i my wife was the first one who was like yeah you know that thing you always do for free because you said no one does it um maybe you should just charge a little money or take a little percentage <laughs> and so i did and that was like the start of artist home that's when the art gave it a name and when i started making a little bit of money as an agent okay um but yeah i just think that whole thing it's just that's just uh it's a hard thing for me to really define why it just is. So you've been giving to people, just helping them along the way, however you can. And now you've built something at Artist Home that's lasted 13 years, uh, brought probably how many thousands of people, hundreds of people together for these? Yeah, well, Timber, um, Timber, we're going in our seventh year, and that's about 3,000 people. And then we have Timber Winter Music Festival up in Leavenworth. So that's um, that just did our seventh. That's 1,400 Dobe is a thousand, and that's our thirteenth year of that. Um, so I don't know. Do the quick math. It's it's a lot of people. So thousands upon thousands of people have come together supporting artists or being an artist and being supported. Uh, how have you felt seeing the fruits of your work building this community around music and around art? Um, I think like I mean honestly, I I pinch myself. I'm like I mean I don't make. I'm not rich by any means, but as someone who works in the arts and is a musician, anyone who could say, that's what I do for a living, like, good on you. You've done it. Like, if you can just have a roof over your head and not have to do these side gigs or whatever, then fucking amazing job. Amazing. Like, um, and for me, I'm in that place where I have a house, I have my kids, I have my family, and like, I support them through working in the arts and found this place where I exist. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I think I'm at a point now where I just relish every moment. I'm I'm in every moment. I enjoy every single day. And, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, I know what it's like to be homeless. I know what it's like to dumpster dive for food on the road. I know what it's like to do those things. And it makes me just appreciate the hell out of the fact that I'm not doing that now. And I'm doing it. And what I'm doing, I feel, is is inspired by being a positive force for others. And like, and then I see musicians succeed. It could just be like, you know, Tecla Waterfield. She just, she, she had her album release at the sunset and it was just a sit down meeting with her and saying, Hey, let's slow down and let's talk about how you should really promote this thing. And she sold that thing out. And I think she surprised herself. I wasn't surprised, but then you see that success and you see that feed, you know, change the attitude and how like, you can create more success. I can do more. You see bands grow. Like the Head and the Heart just announced their new album. They sold out Red Rocks two nights in a row. And they're just talking about like, you know, have this happenstance meeting at Connor Byrne and Ballard and how lucky they were, you know. And I had a small part in that. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, okay, all this work, it helped propel someone forward. You know, it might not have been my initial dream of like making a living as a musician, but my existence has helped other musicians realize that and that's way cooler to me and connor byrne actually came up many times in, in season four of seattle growth podcast uh, people have time and time again talked about the community at connor byrne and yeah. the open mics on, on sunday what have you learned as you've built this community and you've brought artists together you've helped artists you've brought music fans together and you've brought music fans to the artists what have you learned that can translate beyond the arts and beyond music and be applied to somebody who's looking to make their mark in Seattle, maybe to build a community uh, and a sense of belonging here? It could be the littlest things. Um, like we just, my family, we just moved to Des Moines three years ago. And, um, you know, a lot of people talk about, and I experience it, like coming from Hawaiian culture myself and like coming in and how people kind of avoid eye contact in the stores. And, you know, I don't know if that's what the Seattle freeze really is, or I don't even know what that reference is, but, um, you know, people complain about a lack of connection. And if you complain about it, you have to start facilitating it. You have to do things. So, like, um, do things that turn your community into the one you want to take a walk in, the, in, that turn your community into the place you want to just exist in without necessarily, like, thinking about, you know, a business. 
Like, think about just what your community needs, and maybe that will show you an answer into how you can create a business that will contribute to that. Um, you know, I, I do woodworking at home and I built a little free library. It was actually a little free book and puzzle library. And it's this, it's on my little cul-de-sac. It's on my block. Six, seven people come by a day and they just open it up. Yeah. They grab a book. They do this little thing that has nothing to do with my business, but has to do with the community I want to create. It has to do with like, I want to give back and create this neighborhood. Um, last summer, me and two of my neighbors, we just said, you know, no one's ever done it like a neighborhood block party or gathering. I went up and down the street like an old punk with flyers and dropped it off to every house, said, hey, we're having a cookout. Meet down here on Saturday. Um, 50 or so people came out, and a bunch of the neighbors said like, similar things where they're like, I've been here for 30 years. I've never met any of you, and no one's ever done this. And we're just like, Why? And it's just like we get so just so in our phones and so in social media and so like and I think I talk to so many musicians and I don't like do it over messenger. I don't do whatever. I say, we'll meet at a coffee shop, come into my office or whatever. And we just talk face to face and we hang and we talk. And um, I think that kind of connection is something that um, it always comes from, for me. It just comes from a place where like for artist home, for timber, for everything. It's just like it's not so much like. How can I, I don't know, make a buck? It, it really starts in a place where, like, what does this community need? What is the desire here? What is the purpose? And what's funny is, like, I go back later and, like, my business partner's sending me, like, books from, like, marketing gurus and whatever, and I, like, listen to them. This is, like, literally this year. And they're, like, and they're saying the same thing. Like, yeah. It's not about your product. It's, like, what do people need? Like, what is your purpose? If not, you're a salesman selling BS. But if you have something that actually has meaning, that has like, you know, um, it just really makes your environment what you want it to be, then the answers will come, you know, and it's an easy thing to sell. And speaking of selling, I want to give you a chance for a plug. Sure. Uh, who should know about Artist Home or Timber? What should they know? Yeah. How... Um, artist, if our website, artisthome.org, we have a blog where we just, we literally brag about the arts. We brag about musicians who most people haven't heard of. Um, our big event, Timber Outdoor Music Festival, that happens July 11th through 13th out in Carnation. Um, it's an incredible weekend of music, but it's also all these outdoor adventures. Um, like you can go on guided kayaking and paddleboarding tours. You can hike with naturalists. Um, you can do yoga in the morning, but then you could also, like, we have uh, astronomy clubs and UW's astronomy department come out and do star talks at night. And it's this, it's the best weekend of the summer where we strive, we do one thing to really propel artists and move them forward, but on the audience side, we want everyone to feel like th they, we'd want them to feel if they're in our backyard at a barbecue. And the vibe there is incredible. Kids under 12 are free. We want kids to learn that music is something you go and experience in person. It's something you discover. Um, and it's a really affordable, great time. Tickets are on sale. It's sold out the last two years in a row. Um, and every year it's just grown, gotten bigger and bigger. I mean, not bigger and bigger. We limit the capacity, but it's sold out faster and faster. So um, Timber Music Festival, how do they find out? Uh, just go to timbermusicfest.com. And, uh, yeah, you can see the lineup. You can see all the adventures that we have. I mean, which are, there's a lot. Like, there's recreational tree climbing. So you can, like, get harnessed up and go up in the canopy with an, with an arborist and a professional climber. Just all sorts of cool stuff. So um, who is, I know you can't choose. It's probably like yeah. your children. You love them all equally. But of the bands you've booked for the, this upcoming Timber Music Festival, uh, that they can get tickets at timbermusicfest.com. Dot com. Timbermusicfest.com. Who is going to be the next head and heart? Who's going to be the next one to blow oh, up I out just, of this? I'm rooting for everybody. I think Stephanie Ann Johnson, she's a local singer that has had like some very high-profile things. She was on The Voice. Um, and I think she's – but she still seems to be under the radar for some reason. Um, she's incredible, one of the greatest singers I've ever heard. Um, she's awesome. There's a an amazing country band from New Orleans coming in called Chris Acker and the Growing Boys who are – outstanding um you know it's funny i have to go through like all the um well we'll take two that's yeah, great that, i mean that's two but yeah if you go to the website and you click on the artist there's a spotify playlist trust me just click on it you're gonna be wild like it's it's exceptional music and um 
you know, OCs from San Francisco are like wildly popular and amazing live band. They're playing uh, Saturday. Legendary um, musician Mark Lanigan, who's the singer for the Screaming Trees. Um, he's doing this once in a lifetime performance where we've had him paired up with the string quartet. And he's going to be performing in the woods in the night. Like, and that is going to be a thing. And so what kind of music do you have to like to want to go to the Timber Music Festival? Any music. Um, we book all genres. Like, well, I'm a firm believer that it's never about a genre. Like, people who like music just like good music, regardless of its genre. Like, that's why KXP is so popular. It's all over the place. But it's refined in understanding what's good within each realm right and so yeah we have country we have soul we have hip-hop we have like loud rock and roll um we have jazz we have everything and um yeah never really in complaints it's just but it's just good whatever it is it's good all right so timbermusicfest.com uh now we've talked about your timber music festival we've talked about artist home we've talked about just your personal efforts to make sure that artists have a place here in seattle and that they could avoid mistakes you've made and, and thrive. I want to give you a chance for concluding thoughts. Any concluding thoughts? No, just, uh, I don't know. Come and see us this summer. Say hi. If you see me, like, I feel like I know the entire audience now, like every year I see them and you know, it's a great feeling. Um, but yeah, if you, uh, I think if I could say anything to all the people of Seattle, it's just, if, if you're complaining about a way the city is or the way people are just, um, you know, it, it's a super like cliche, but be be that little difference if it if it means inviting a neighbor over for dinner and just sitting across the table and having a real conversation with them. Just do that. Um, but yeah, I think Seattle. Uh, you know, one of the big differences when I first moved to Seattle, moved to Fremont, and yes, there were less homeless people there, but the homeless people that lived in my neighborhood up on Upper Fremont, I lived right behind Paseo. Everyone in my neighborhood knew them on a first name basis, mm. and they and the attitude towards them was they was more that they were our neighbor, and kept an eye out for them. And I know there's there's this homeless thing going on. I know that, but like, you know, make Seattle kind again. You know, I think that's something I'd really love for people to hear. I think that um, if if a, a candidate ran on that platform, I would I would. Full on going, <laughs> full on support. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, Kevin, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. Dude, thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Now, I want to hear from you. How are you building or finding community in this dynamic city? Reach out to me on Twitter at Prof Shulman to let me know. Or better yet, come tell me in person at the red carpet premiere of On the Brink on Sunday, June 9th at the historic Langston Hughes Performing Arts Institute. Head to www.onthebrinkmovie.com to get tickets. Next week, you'll hear about the serendipitous interactions that could forge community from Nathan Voss and from Maisha Barnett. The episode will introduce you to interesting stories of Seattle's history and how others are experiencing the current changes underway. Before we close out this episode, I want to thank Pamela Burton for her help with the audio and Ed Cromer for his work on the UW Foster blog. And I also want to acknowledge the lovely voice you heard at the introduction to this episode. That was Tecla Waterfield, who appeared on Season 4 of Seattle Growth Podcast, exploring the past, present, and future of Seattle's music scene. I hope you'll join me next week. In the meantime, I'm Jeff Shulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey in the sixth season of Seattle Growth Podcast.